Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery with your hosts. Shapiro, David Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren, Mr. Michael Snow Holly. <laughs> that is correct, the Buffalo Snow Holly. It's stuck in Buffalo right now. <laughs> well, it could be yeah. worse. It's good for you. you know? Yes, a couple of my friends have over three feet. We have about a foot and a half where I'm from. Well, that's good. So, yeah. That's good. It gives you an excuse to be stuck in and drink. Oh, yeah. Then I get to drive <laughs> my brand new uh, 5.7 liter Hemi. Dodge or truck, Ram truck. So I'm all psyched. <laughs> yeah, all this man stuff. I'm sure. I'm sure the wife will scream at you. You'll be driving. You'll be doing all these wheelies and all this stuff out there, and you're not supposed oh. to be. Oh yeah, I don't tell her a thing. No, <laughs> she doesn't know. It won't hurt her, right? That's right. Because if she knows, it'll hurt you. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Remember, she's karate expert. So. Yeah, she was a nationally rated judo player in her younger days. So I am afraid of her. You, I would be too. I'm afraid of her back at West. That's right. <laughs> Kill a man at 10 paces, that's for sure. <laughs> well, anyway, here we go. Um, we will be talking to uh, a writer who used to be, I believe, a cop. So let's find out what's going on here. we got Mr. David Putnam. So thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. Dave. So where did you come from? It looks like law enforcement. So we like to go over the cops hard here. Who were you before? Let's talk about this. Well, I, my dad was a deputy sheriff, but he left separated from my mom before I was old enough to understand that. Or, uh, so I don't think he had an influence on me. But I started as a sheriff's, uh, sheriff's explorer when I was 15. 
went to the Sheriff's Explorer Academy. It's like Boy Scouts, uh, ride-alongs, that kind of thing. Then I uh, applied and was hired as a police cadet for Ontario Police Department. Um, Ontario is a city of about 100,000 in Southern California, about 40 miles east of Los Angeles. Uh, I did two years as a cadet. Then at 20 years old, they hired me early, and I went to the academy, and I did uh, four years in Ontario. And I wanted more action, so I laterally transferred to L.A. County Sheriff Department, did six months in the jail, and went out to the streets and worked four years in South Central Los Angeles. Uh, then I transferred to San Bernardino County Sheriff Department, where I did 22 years, um, working a variety of uh, just details, violent crimes, did two tours on SWAT, internal affairs, criminal intelligence, uh, narcotics, uh, that kind of thing. I retired with uh, 22 years there and then uh, went to work as a special agent for the state of Hawaii uh, as uh, Hawaii Five-O, uh, the state's attorney general's office. Then after three years there, retired and came back to California. I started writing in 1989 when I was on a job, and I was on my 30th manuscript before I sold my first book. Wow. That sounds right. <laughs> so you yeah, were, tough. <laughs> you were the Bookham Dano. On Hawaii Five O. Yeah, my wife started calling was calling me Dana while we were there, um, but <laughs> I would come to work and I'd find the, the fake Hawaii Five O car actually parked in my slot, right where I was supposed to park. One time I was on the phone and we were having a fake shootout outside my window. I was talking to a witness on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. You know, I'm watching the old one ones right now from from the. Original late sixties, seventies. Oh, the old ones. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I think the old ones were better. They were, they were, they were closer to being real than the new ones. The new ones just get way out of hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Miami Vice, it took a turn, and everything is very flashy now. I, I like watching the old ones. I'm watching the uh, uh, old uh, Mission Impossible and the old. I'm kind of getting into all the old ones uh, while I'm working. I, I, I like it. It's. It's a little more raw. Even the Kojak. Kojak is pretty impressive. I didn't realize how good the that series was until just the last couple of months when I've been watching it. So surprising, you know. Yeah, Kojak's one of my favorites as well. Yeah, I'm I'm really getting into it. I'm in season two now, and I'm thinking this is really, it's really done well. It's really yeah, because I think that the characters, the police, are real people. They have real right. problems. It shows them as uh, they make mistakes. They're just they're just humans, and they're doing the best they can. And I think it showed it showed that better than what they do nowadays, because now they're all superhuman. You know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like they don't have a whole lot of personality or something. I don't know. I think the the writing was was great on Kojak too. How about Tom Selleck though? Oh, yeah, I like I like well, I like. Um, Magnum yeah. P. I. Oh, yeah. Or are you talking about the, the – No, Magna P.I., yeah, because I actually lived in Hawaii for three years. Yeah. I, I was stationed – I was a helicopter pilot, so I was stationed in uh, um, um, in uh, Hawaii. So I lived on the North Shore and stuff. So, uh, But th it was all about Magna P.I. when I was yeah. there. Yeah. You even had a mustache, didn't you? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely did. <laughs> and I had tennis shorts, and they were the short ones. That's right. Just oh. like, just like Magnum PI. <laughs> there you go. I don't know. You're a nut. 
Um, so when you when you're writing when you're still on the job, that's interesting. And then uh, so you had it in your mind that you wanted to actually sell the books and become an author when you were still a cop. No, I I was a I started off as an avid reader, and in fifth grade I think I got the the the, the reading bug from my fifth grade teacher who read to us after after lunch every day. And that's when I picked up books, and I, I haven't put them down since. Um, and I, I tried to write my first novel in junior high school, and I tried to write two more in high school and never finished them. And then I became enamored with law enforcement, so I kind of went a different way. Um, because, you know, they, they gave me a gun and a badge and a fast car and said, go go chase crooks. I mean, what what you play cops and robbers, and they pay you. So <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I kept books in the backseat of my undercover car. Um, this was in 1989 novels because on the surveillance, it's not like in the movies or in the books where everybody's watching one location. Uh, one guy watches, they call him the eye and then everybody else is laid off until the um, person, the, the, the target moves. So on my, de- when I wasn't on the eye, I got to read a book. And so I had these novels in my back seat. So now, you know, they give me a badge of gun, fast car, chase crooks, and I get to read on the job. I mean, it was just a perfect <laughs> job for me. So I, um, I was down, I was on a meth surveillance, a meth lab surveillance out in Mojave Desert, the CERN Valley, way out in the middle of nowhere. And I was down to my last book, uh, in the back seat. And it was the second book of, uh, an author who his first book was an international bestseller. And I really liked the book. So I figured this book was going to be just as good. What I found out later, after I got into it, was that the sophomore effort of the books many times are not as well done as the first because the author will work on a book for 10 years, rewriting it, polishing it, sending it in, getting comments, rewriting it again until he finally sells it, he or she sells it. And then they have a contract for the next book and they have one year to write it. So that's what happened with this book. This book was an absolute dog, but I was a captive audience, so... I uh, had to read the whole thing and I read the whole thing and I, I got done. I thought, Oh, I could do better than this. So I wrote my first four novels on the front seat of my cop car during surveillances. Um, <laughs> and I realized very early that a good author makes it look easy because it was a very difficult endeavor. So 38 books later from 1989 to 2014, um, I finally sold a book, which was the disposables, this first book in the Bruno Johnson series. You have quite the background for these books. <laughs> and think, I, I put a lot of uh, real-life stories within the books. I, I use my experiences, and I put the reader right there on the scene, uh, what I saw, what I smelled, everything that, that happened. That's important, uh, I think, in a good book or a good story, because it it, it reads as, as true, like it's believable, and it comes across that way. People can feel it. Yeah, whether they like the characters or not and whatever the story, but it's still real. Um, but you also, in this case, you're putting a lot of yourself out there for the public to see. You know, in today's world, it's pretty savage and it's easy for people to respond in good and bad ways. And it's, it's always, not always pretty. Um, that in itself is a different sense of um, of courage. Like it's it's a different type of courage, um, but you're still doing it. You're you're in in a way um, by putting yourself out there because there's a lot of you in your characters. I can imagine. Yeah, each book um, of the Bruno series was like a snapshot of my career because I did a, 
a lot of diverse jobs. Uh, I was even cross-sworn as a U.S. Marshal, and I chased murder suspects across three states and followed bank robbers around. And um, one time, six murder suspects escaped from our jails, and I chased those guys. So each book, I, I did one for narcotics, I did one for bank robbery, but it's the Bruno Johnson, Marie, and his dad theme. Um, Bruno Johnson's an ex-cop, ex-con, who rescues children from toxic homes. He couldn't do it when he was a cop because of the rules and regulations. Now he goes outside the law to rescue the children. So in each book, he g- continues to gain children, and he has a makeshift orphanage down in Costa Rica, and he keeps coming up to the States to um, to handle these conflicts that I, I, I throw him in. So he's basically a good guy, but he's hand- doing things outside the law to do the good things. Yeah, yeah. He's doing things that are legally questionable, sometimes obviously illegal, but he's doing it for the right reasons. Wow. So now, now this 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 new book here, uh, a fearsome moonlight black. Now that's a Dave Beckett novel. Here, when you're doing um, a series like this, this is book one of one. Um, how how do you? kind of keep track of your character and what you're doing with them and the scenes. I mean, it's only book one here, but when you go further into it and in other series, what's your, what's your method? Well, um, this book, I, my, my, my publisher for Bruno Johnson will only take one book from me per year. And I write faster than one book per year because I've written, I wrote 38 manuscripts. So I've, I've got this, the structure down. Um, and I can write pretty quickly now. So, I got caught up with Ocean View, and I'm two books or three books ahead of them now that they have backed up. And so I started, I wanted to write a memoir. And I couldn't get the, the story arc to work because I was too close to it. So the I Fear Some Moonlight Black is actually the first half is memoir. I wrote it just the way it happened, my first year on the job. And what I wanted to do was what uh, Joseph Wambach, quote from Joseph Wambach, who I was one of my, uh, people that got me into reading and writing and into law enforcement. I love his books. But he said he likes to write about not what the cop does on the job, but what the job does to the cop. And that's what I wanted to show. My wide-eyed innocence when I first stepped into a cop car and the things that happened to me in that first year and how I evolved. Uh, so I couldn't get the story arc to work, so I put that first part in there. First part is just the way it happened. The second part is fictionalized to make the first part work. And I think the book came out far better than I planned it. So when you ask how I write that, I just started from the beginning and put those experiences that I had, linked them together, and um, and just wrote it. Um, and the way I write is I, I write with uh, what I call a document, uh, Microsoft Word. So I'll start scene sequence off of each plot line. We'll transition back and forth across those plot lines as I move through the story arc. And then uh, at the bottom, each time I do a chapter, I write, I, I start a, a novel diagram at the bottom of my, of my uh, document. And so I can look at my uh, novel at a glance. So chapter one, I'll say introduction, um, murder scene, you know, just something real quick to spark my memory. And then um, I write to a structure, conflict, complication, crisis, conclusion. So I can look down at my, my diagram below my manuscript and see right where I am in the book. So I am never, I never have writer's block because I always know where I'm going. 
Uh, below that, I have um, a list of locations and a list of characters each time I add them because I don't want to add continually add characters. I want to pull the characters from the beginning of the book through the, through the back, which makes it very difficult for the author, but it keeps the um, reader more connected because there's not as many characters. So it makes, makes work for me to adjust the background and motivation for these secondary characters to be pulled through the rest of the book. Um, and I, it's, it's a lot of what a lot of authors call a Bible when you start a, a series is what I'm describing. So now I pick these up and I move them to the next uh, manuscript, the next book. The next book is called A Lonesome Blood Red Sun. And I, I just dropped that into the bottom of my, of my uh, manuscript document and I could call, I could call that up. So now I'm on the third book I'm writing right now. And I just move, I just bump all those over. So I can look at a glance to see what I want to pull from those other novels, the names, locations, and, and have a reminder. How do you how do you decide what experiences you're going to write about? It sounds like this one's very much true story to you. Um, so how do you decide which which kind of events you're going to put in? Well, that, that's that's the thing. I don't know what I'm going to write uh, other than the three plot lines. Once I decide the three plot lines, then I could I could start the the adventures or the events that I actually experienced, I can pull those out and plug them into motivations on that plot line. You see, I don't know if that's, that's been clear enough. Um, but so, for instance, I knew, I knew who the murderer was going to be in the book before I started it. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know who he's going to kill. I just know who's gonna, who, who it's going to be. So that's one plot line. The other plot line is going to be the evolution of the character, um, Dave Beckett going through his machinations from innocent to experienced detective. Um, and that, that's an easy plot line to facilitate. Um, so each time I jump plot lines, I just decide I need a motivation. I need to show something here. And I just draw from my experience and then plug it in. How much of you is going into Dave Beckett? Yeah, like the first half is, I'm telling you, is every one of those scenes actually happen. The uh, fatal car crash, the murder in the, ho the Holiday Inn, uh, the suicide, um, my mom coming out to the fatal car crash and trying to get my attention at the car scene, at the, at the accident scene, uh, all that. Uh, the officer-involved shooting when I was just 21 years old, and I chased the armed robbery suspect, and he grabbed a five-year-old kid around the neck and held him hostage. I was by myself. All that stuff happened just the way I wrote it, first year my on the job. And I, I folded all that in and made it work. And I'm getting some great comments that people love this book. Well, you can see because it would actually happen. Yeah. And that's why it's so dynamic is because I wrote it as I was standing there. Well, that kind of crime doesn't happen in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> we know that can't be real. <laughs> it, it, and so what's what's the most important thing that you want people to take away from a book like this? Is it pure entertainment and action, or is there is there something underneath it all that you kind of hope people pick up? Well, I'm not trying. I don't want to put any politics into it. I, I'm writing for pure entertainment. And as far as theme, I, I don't. The themes are individual for the story. Uh, my my main job is to entertain. So I am constantly thinking about how to endear the character, um, uh, but, but I'm most conscious about the voice. 
the voice of the character is what the reader is in for, is what they're looking for. And that's the most difficult part uh, of writing is, is getting the voice right. So I'm paying strict attention to that as I'm, as I'm going through. So you love being a storyteller. I always have been. I love telling stories. That's true. So uh, now I don't want this to be a too weird of a question, but as we talk to a lot of fiction writers and true crime writers and all sorts of stuff, how do you experience your character then? And even your little characters, your, your sub, your extras, so to speak. And that, how does it, how does the experience happen to you? Cause, um, Usually with nonfiction true crime writers, we get, uh, th- there's no, no, um, interaction like they're a person or a real person, but fiction writers quite often describe their characters like people, like they're children and, uh, they actually see them and hear their voices and the, the whole thing. So you kind of doing true story, but fiction, how is it for you? Well, that's what it comes back to voice again. You know, there's three, for me, there, there's three parts of voice, uh, language and syntax, point of view, and then attitude. And when you're writing nonfiction, you can't get the most important part of voice because it's, it's attitude. It's, it's how the character reacts to what's going on verbally. Uh, and if it's the, the point of view character internally, um, and, and a nonfiction is more factual. So I'm the reader reads for emotions. They want to feel the story through emotions. And you, and that's why voice is so critical. And uh, the reaction. And that's what I watch. I watch it very carefully. The um, motivation, action, reaction in each scene, in each sentence, in, in, in each paragraph. Um, if you have too much um, reaction to a motivation, you get melodrama. And that happens quite a bit with, with some of the books that I, that I read. So I'm, I'm careful to balance out my motivation and my, uh, reaction to the action. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what do you think about a lot of, um, there's, there's a lot of, um, popularity lately in, in this type of, of action detective sort of book. And you get like, you know, Reacher and, and John Wick and all these things have been kind of getting to the screen and series and stuff like that. Are you a fan of what's going on with a lot of them right now? Um, I, I'm still an avid reader. I, I powered down on my reading this year, but uh, last year I read 150 books and I did reviews on Goodreads. I'm, I'm a pretty big presence on Goodreads. So I do follow what's going on. And most of the time, it, it doesn't matter what genre, because I read romantic comedies, I read sci-fi, fantasy, as long as it's well-written and it follows the some of the, at least some of the 16 precepts that I write by, I'm, I'm in. I'll read the whole thing. Um, there are some authors, I'm not gonna, I don't want to disparage anybody, but some, some authors I read and they're just redoing the same thing over and over again. And they, they don't get to the emotional core of a character. Bruno Johnson is, is very vulnerable. Him and his wife Marie, they, they go after, these children who are at risk. And when I was working, that's what happened. What I was, I wrote those 38 novels. I couldn't sell a book. And um, finally I decided I'm going to write what I've been trying, but I've been avoiding because in my job, uh, the, the worst call I went on involved children. And I just, it was just difficult for me to deal with it. So I thought, you know, readers read for emotion. I'm going to put some emotion in his book, in these books. So the children, 
don't get hurt or or injured on 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 scene. They're, it's offset, so I don't want to um, uh, scare away any readers. Um, so Bruno Johnson feels those emotions for those children, um, and you're feeling it right along with him and his wife Marie and his father who rescued the children. And once I started writing to the emotions instead of writing the story, which is what a lot of these books you're talking about is strictly story. Story is not story. Character is story. I had that drilled into me by my writing mentor. And these books, um, most of these books are just stories. They're just telling the story, going through the, the process. And these stories are very good, but they're not getting down to the core emotions of it. Some of these um, characters... You have no idea what they're feeling. They're just going through and doing the action and moving on. Not Bruno. Bruno's not that way at all. What's funny to me is that in my image of law enforcement is your, the ability to disconnect, not deal with your emotions, and you're, you are connected completely with your emotions. When I was working uh, on the street and there were children involved, uh, that was the only time I could not disconnect my emotions. If there was a crook that was shot and he signed up for it, that's what he he made those choices. So I could almost deal with without much difficulty that this is the game that we're playing right now. But when children are involved, they don't get to make those choices. So um, yeah, I I I, I had no problem going to mass shootings. Uh, everybody shooting each other. That was part of the game that they chose. Um, but when children are involved, that's that's a different story. Do you think that's why you write about the children in your books? Yeah, I I, I do um, because it adds another layer um, for both for the, for Bruno and his his wife and his and his father. Um, they have to deal with all these other uh, crimes or incidents like these other characters you're talking about and deal with the children at the same time. So there's definitely an added layer. I, I would imagine that each time you complete a book, um, there's something you get out of it. What, what does a book do for you? Well, you know, you think it would change for me, but after I write the end on the end of the book, it's, it's like a, a chunk of me is gone. I, I, it takes a, like two weeks for it to refill. It sounds kind of corny, but, um, I feel like I'm uh, at a loss because I'm always I'm always thinking about the book when I'm into it. Sometimes I'll have a problem that's working in my head and I don't even realize it, and I will wake up in the morning and there it is because my mind has been working on it um, subconsciously. I know that sounds corny too, but that's the way it works for me. So when I finish a book, it, it's, I have a, a an emptiness for like two weeks until it fills in and I'm off to the next book. I usually have Two other books going at once that I'm taking notes on um, for the, for the motivations and plot lines before I start um, the book. I'm writing two at one time right now. Yeah. And you're reading. <laughs> yeah, and I'm reading. Yes, <laughs> that's a little bit crazy, but that's all right. You know, I, I understand the writing part because I'm I'm a savage at, at writing myself. I, I'm the same way, but um, since my eyes have gone, I've, you know, in, got cataracts and I had surgery in that. I'm reading less and I'm doing the audible uh, a lot more, um, easier on the eyes, you know. Yeah. Your characters and that, where 
where did the characters come from for you? Or they, did this come out of the thin air or do you, are there people you've kind of come across uh, in your life and you've kind of developed them into two characters? Sometimes the characters are, uh, most of the times they're an amalgamation of several people. Like if it was a supervisor that uh, gave me problems, I, I, I never had a, a, a problems with supervisors except for one. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Really. Um, and I would take different... Um, aspects of supervisors and combine them um and some of the bad guys like in book two of bruno johnson the replacements i wanted to write about the most dangerous person i ever ran into in 31 years and the problem with that was this guy was such a sociopath probably even a psychopath that um if i wrote him just the way he was in real life uh he would be a caricature so if I write a hero and I write him superhero, like some of these guys you were just talking about, I'm not going to disparage him. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but I, I got to give, like, if I write them uh, as pure heroes, then they turn into caricatures, cartoons. So to make a hero not a char- uh, caricature, you have to give him some flaws. And that's what a good character has. He has a, 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 a multiple level layers. So when I was writing this bad guy, he was so evil that he was a caricature. So I had to give him some humanity. Um, and what happened was I wrote it, just, I wrote it, um, I, I described him, I gave him a little bit of humanity, and I and the publisher picked the book up, the second book right away. Um, I wrote the second book, and I didn't like the guy. I, I didn't like him so much that I killed him in the third book. 
And I sent it, <laughs> I, I sent it into the publisher, and the publisher goes, no, you can't kill Carl Drago. We love him. <laughs> well, that was my fault because I gave him too much humanity. <laughs> um, and this guy, his name in real life was um, – I'm not worried about giving this up because he's not going to be a reader. He's not going to know or listen to these podcasts. Uh, but his name was James Lawless. In real life, his name was James Lawless. And he had killed somebody, committed a murder, got 25 to life, did 12 years, got out, um, killed somebody else, got out on parole, killed somebody else, went in, did 25 to life, got out in 12. So now he's done 24 years. The second time he got out, they figured he might be a threat to society, and they put my team on him to follow him around. This guy, he was tattooed from uh, his chin all the way down to his toes, every part of his body, mostly with white hate um, type of tattoos. Uh, but he had a ram tattooed on his pelvis. The horns were on his hips, and the snout of the ram was his penis. He even had that tattooed. That's how, that's how bad this guy was. Um, so it was easy for me to kill him off in the second book, in the third book, but they wanted me to bring him back. And so I had to humanize him even more, and now I'm carrying him through all the books. He's, he's a, a sidekick of Bruno. Sidekick of Bruno, as in he's still he's a bad guy, or is he? He is a, re, a rehabilitated bad guy that Bruno has helped rehabilitate, and um, he, he he comes in and out of the stories too, um, as a, as a Bruno foil, somebody that Bruno leans on from time to time because this guy is still a bad dude. So I do take from from my career. I, I'll envision somebody that I dealt with, and I'll I'll, I'll put him in the book, like Whitey. Um, Sinister, the Sinister was, the book came together so tight. I was just stunned at how good this book came through, came out. It got a star review in Publishers Weekly, which is yeah. hard to do. It's hard to get into Publishers Weekly, let alone get a star review. It was also an editor's pick for best mystery on uh, Amazon. So it, it's a cranking book. And the character of uh, Whitey, I took from somebody I knew in the jail. And I think that's why it works so well. I also gave Bruno a dog this time. And a dog almost has more intelligence than yeah. <laughs> I really like him. But, you know, I wonder now, because I, I, I write a lot of nonfiction and true crime, so does Mike, but do you have um, problems getting into the mind of, of the bad guy, like someone like this, and, and putting it down on paper and putting it in words? Does it, does, does it sort of get into your into your mind or soul, so to speak? Well, it, it, like I said, voice is everything in writing. I mean, it is the everything, even in nonfiction. You, 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 you as, a, as an author telling the story, you're putting your voice in there, and that, that is what carries the, carries the book. The bad guy, if I write first person all the time. I don't write third person. I did in one book, uh, The Heartless because I wanted to get into the point of view of this crook. And um, I had to actually displace myself and think like the crook in order to make that point of view work because he couldn't think like Bruno and do the things like the crook does. So he has to, I had to think skewed in order to, to make it work. And um, <laughs> in, this, in that book, I had talked to a, a, a detective who worked for me, detective bureau. She was telling me about, a boyfriend who had um, 
foot a shoe fetish. And I liked that idea. Um, so I gave this, I gave this cook, this crook a, a shoe fetish to make him, uh, stand out from other crooks and other books. So he collected a high end women's shoes and, and then the book, uh, and the publisher liked it, but she had me uh, power it down a little bit. Um, she, I, I put too much of the, of the, the high dollar high end shoes. So I had to take a step because that's not my world. And I had to step into his world with, you know, his murderous thoughts and right. his shoot and then make it work. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to go there, but it's also a little bit scary sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, you know, and then your wife kind of come home and you got all these shoes sitting around there. <laughs> my wife would say, my wife would read, reads my books and she says, I don't know what's worse, if you made this up or if it actually happened. <laughs> that's, that's it, you know. I, I, just, I would just imagine because in, in your job, it's, it's really difficult um, to be doing that kind of work and not be judged. And and you see that a lot now. I mean, you know, police and law enforcement and and even personalities. Like I, I get tons of of hate emails every week, and and, and I couldn't imagine uh, doing a job that you're trying to do like a policeman right now. Um, so I don't know. I, I I just think it's it's a difficult situation. Um, I think because you have to kind of assess people in that job, and so when you're writing about it, you're you're kind of making an assessment of who's good, who's bad, and what they're doing, and, and in a way, it's judgment, and and so it's it's I don't know, I I think it's a difficult thing all the way around. The whole thing is is a judgment. Anytime you do anything out there, you're going to be judged. No matter what you do, you're going to be judged. And that's why I I refuse to talk to the press, uh, not because I, I didn't want the story to get out, but because they would take it and write the story in their context and not not the way I, I told it to them. They would shift it to the, their view, either on purpose or subconsciously. Uh, and I I didn't I didn't go on with that. I didn't like that. No, I agree. I, I you know press were awful. I know. <laughs> well, even Al, even uh, producers, when you will go on like a, a a show, a documentary, and you get interviewed for that documentary, and next thing you know, what's on TV is slightly different than when you thought. Yeah. You know, I had a I had a I had a high profile career. I was always getting into all kinds of problems, and um, I had uh, real stories of you no. Know, what was it with the bad boys TV show? They wanted to ride with me, put the cop, put the camera in my cop car. And I said, I'm, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and then one time, real stories of high patrol, another incident, they wanted to get in my cop car. I said, no. Well, it's one, I was, I was called to a, to, to a scene on purpose, I think, by this other deputy who, who took the cameraman in his car instead of mine. And so I get there and I'm trying to stay out of the, out of the shot. But, um, at the end, this is what I, I didn't know. The, there's a cameraman and a producer there, and they actually gave me a line to say. There's a, <laughs> if you read um, the credits on those TV shows, it shows writers' credits. It's supposed to be real-life television, but they're telling us what to say. 
So, no, it's not. <laughs> no, there's always script in that, you know, because most of the reality, you have to have some actors and some script, and then you have the real characters, and you're hoping that the mix is what explodes. Right. But it's it's craziness. Um because it's in a, in a way you're just you're playing on real people, and uh, you're hoping that the uh, outcome is what entertains people. But in in essence, you're kind of making a a mess, and you're kind of making fun of everyone, and you're making money through it. I I I'm not a fan of any of that stuff uh, because of that. Yeah, uh, it, it's taking away from I think what the point is. Of, of people getting a, a view of reality of, of the street, and and I think I think that's sad because we're, we're you know we kind of wreck people's lives that way, and so this is why I'm watching all the old shows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. because you know I just I can't stand um, being involved in too much of the reality right now because it's just I don't know yeah. it's it's too now and I can't I can't understand a lot of it so. Um, you know, that's, that's, you know, but my issue. So, so let's get some real names here. So which, which people did you know, which supervisor didn't you have a good time with? <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> now, now someone has, has never heard of you before, which with that many books, I'm not sure how that would be, but if someone hasn't heard of you before, um, what book would you tell them to pick up to read to kind of, well, I, get the feel. I try to write all the books as standalones, um, even though the characters continue to evolve and they continue to gain children as they go through the series. So you pick up the book, and, and it, without reading other books, you should be able to just dive right into it and not have a problem with it. And I write a thriller structure, not a mystery structure. So um, they're short, snappy chapters that, that pull you right along. Um, like I said, The Sinister right now is, is a very tight book. Um, I think it's one of my best. Um, but I wrote four books in current day. And then in the, the fourth book in current day, The Vanquished, I beat up and battered Bruno so badly, the publisher makes a comment, made a comment to me in post-production saying, well, I don't know how you're going to bring Bruno back from this. And I thought, <laughs> because he was emotionally crushed in that book. Um, I said, yeah, you're probably right. So The Innocence is actually a prequel. So I wrote four, four current day, and then I wrote four prequels explaining how Bruno came to be Bruno in book one. So it's like the Star Wars. So you can either start with the Innocents or the Disposables, depending on how you want to read them. Read them the way I wrote them, um, starting with uh, Disposables, Replacements, Squandered, Vanquished, or go to start with Innocents in chronological time. Um, but, you know, pick up any of them. Uh, um, the Reckless was a particularly emotionally book, emotional book for me. Um, I, wrote, I wrote about a, a good friend of mine who was killed in a line of duty on a search warrant, a uh, dope search warrant. A 15-year-old kid shot and killed him on entry. Um, and I wanted to uh, uh, give the reader the emotions of that story. So in order to do that, I had to motivate my friend who was killed. And so I wrote the book in a mystery structure for the first half or the first hundred pages. And then I shifted to a thriller structure after that. Um, and I sent the book in and the publisher was, Oh, we love this book, but you got to cut the first hundred pages. 
<laughs> so yeah. So um, they saw that that the, the shift in the, the voice and the structure, and they wanted to be a pure thriller. So they said, "Cut the first hundred pages." And when you cut that kind of page, that number of pages, I had to rework the whole book. And the Reckless, because of that, came out to be a dynamite book too. That's a great book. That was my time in bank robbery when I butted heads with the FBI. We didn't get along that well at all. Um, but I, we, my team we took down a whole lot of bank robbers, and it was a lot of fun. Do you think that's displayed pretty real um, when you see movies and TVs or you in, in, in a lot of stuff, the way um, agencies like that react and react to people like FBI and police, police law enforcement? Do they really not get along or do they get along? Like, is there, is that kind of dealt with pretty real? Anytime there are people involved, you got, you got personalities and personalities conflict. And so agencies conflict, well, there, there were inner, inner department, inner agency conflicts when I was working, you know, with Highway Patrol and the Sheriff's Department, they'd get into a spat and they'd have a, a sit down and work it all out or, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, uh, the FBI is a different animal because they like the Bigfoot, uh, the investigation, step in and say, yeah, this is ours. Um, we're taking over. But um, I, I don't – if I had the choice of having uh, a, a diehard county detective chasing me or an FBI agent chasing me, um, give me the FBI agent because I'm going to evade him all day long. I'm not necessarily that county deputy. <laughs> there you, you've heard it here first yeah, yeah. no I, just, I I always find it interesting because I think that that's, that's the key I think what you said is um, with any uh, agency and any conspiracy I hear and all this stuff you hear flying around mostly people um, don't take into account that uh, they're just all human beings right and, like all of this stuff, you have to really look at them as, well, this is a human being. And I never okay. realized that until I actually got into, when I started, stopped being deep into the game of chasing crooks and took a step back and started looking at the people that I was working with. And the first time I saw that was my first tour of the SWAT team because I had this image from watching, you know, the SWAT TV show and, and you know, the different cop shows, how professional they were. And I get into the SWAT team, and my life depends on those five guys on that stick make, going in on the entry. And I realize that that guy's dumb as a rock. The guy behind me, yeah. he's got a machine gun. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's when I first realized this. It's not what you see on television. You think that oh, everybody is professional, everybody's going to do what's right. Um, and you're going in uh, a house with a guy. The lights are turned off, and he's laying in a sitting in a corner with a AK um, rifle, and you're you're going through the front door after him, and you got to depend on the guy that's uh, in front of you and behind you. Question: uh, uh, The my editor yelled at me a little bit ago. This late, latest <laughs> book I'm writing because uh, I I forgot to add more female uh, uh, characters of strength. I think that's how she would put it. Right. Um, do you, did you, do you have issues with that, or do you uh, try to put a uh, different type of people that are not you? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think I think um, female characters. I, I like writing them. 
I hope I'm writing well enough because they add another layer of, of conflict. And in all my books, I have strong female characters. Um, I do it on purpose. Yeah. So you wouldn't get yelled at by my editor. No, then, no, just me. Just, no. <laughs> they like yelling at you. That's <laughs> well, that might be too. So I, I, some of my characters are, are bad female characters, but a lot of them are great, strong uh, detectives or like Marie. Uh, Marie is the one that keeps Bruno online. Do you, is it is it difficult to get into the mind of of, of uh, or do you do you have any problems writing characters that are not you, female or any sort of big difference from who you are? When I when I shift from Bruno, because Bruno is really just an alter ego character of me. Um, when I shift to Bruno's dad, I have to I have to shift around almost like change hats and think the way he would think because he is uh, morally upright and always gives Bruno um, the right um, counseling. So it, th- that is a big shift for me when I go into his point of view. Same thing with Marie. Marie um, understands who Bruno is and that uh, once, he, once he gets missile lock on something, she can't stop him from doing what he's going to do, um, but she gives him good advice on how to do it. Uh, that kind of thing. Um, and the kids, the kids, uh, some of the kids are broken emotionally and Bruno has to deal with them, uh, uh, with kid clubs, that kind of thing. So I, I got to put myself in, into their point of view. And that's another thing on my, on my uh, manuscript down below. I, I, I put a, I, all, <laughs> I lost track of my kids. I, I would get a, I would get a, a, a note from my editor from the publisher and saying, right here, you say you have 11 kids, and I think you really have 13. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually had to go back and read all my books and make notes on all the kids. Um, And then I I wrote up a a spreadsheet and I sent it to the publisher so she could track them now from from in future books. Um, So, yeah, I got a lot of kids, characters to juggle. Then I got to bring new bad guys in each time. And so now I'm juggling old characters with the new bad guy characters. Um, and it's, it's like working a giant jigsaw puzzle every time. And I, it is, I just love doing it. Uh, yeah. It sounds like you have a good time with it. And I'm, that's a lot of it too. That's, I mean, if you love what you're doing, it's, it's going to come out in what you do. Right? right. So, you know, um, political correctness. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you think about that in these times? Um, Yep. Or not? You just just go ahead and just kind of go with whatever. I mean, because out because out in the street, um, there's there's a lot of talk more online in 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 media, but the reality is when you're on the street, you're on the street. Things are what they are, and people talk the way they talk, and things are. Mm-hmm. And, and so do you, do you. It's pretty hard to. But you see, there's two worlds. There's there's the actual world. And then there's the reader's world. And that's what I get back to. I teach a class on how to write a novel. And I, I'll get back to those 16 precepts of, of what a reader expects. Now, there's, for example, uh, they talk about a clip in a gun all the time. Well, there's no such thing as a clip. It's a magazine. But it became a part of the nomenclature. Uh, so, you know, when we're in SWAT, if we asked for a clip, we'd get slapped because that's not... You, you, equipment is equipment, and 
a clip is for M1 Grand in World War II, where, you, where it was an internal magazine, and you shoved the clip down into the gun. And when you fired the last bullet, the clip tinked and flipped out of the gun. You put another clip in. That's where the clip came from, and that's where I think it carried over from World War II. But um, somebody goes, I'm down to my last clip, and they've got a handgun or they have a um, M4 rifle. Now, that's not that's not correct. But it's correct in the forum that it's being used in, you see? So um, you got, when you say politically correct, what is politically correct? Um, uh, the publisher did a survey on my books, and they said that my, my number one readers are women 55 and older because I put, a little bit of, <laughs> I put a little bit of romance in the books. And so I don't use uh, overly use vulgar language. I don't use any of the bad words. I, I work around it because I understand who my audience is. If I wrote it just like it happened in real life as far as language, um, it would be more gritty and I would, I would displace some of those 16 precepts and push people away. So, and the books that I read now, um, a lot of authors, they try to put in their political point of view. And I, and I write these reviews. I say, well, I, I might, I may be with your political point of view and I may not be, but it doesn't matter. I get enough of that in real life. I'm reading for entertainment. I want to be immersed in a story and be taken to another place. And when you put that, those politics back in there, it jars me back into real life, and I don't like it. And I, and I, I think that the authors that are the big names that are trying to put their political platforms out there are making a mistake because you're, at the very least, you're um, alienating fifty percent of the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I agree totally. I, I, I don't think there's a place for it. I think if something comes in organically, if it's natural, it's fine. But if you're actually um, doing it with an intent, it's usually, it, it usually sticks out and it's not as good. Right. It, you know, it, it takes away from the story. It takes you out of the story. So that's kind of a, that's a mistake, you know. Yeah. I have a question on that 50, uh, women 50 and older. I think Al, you were talking about some, uh, in our, in our nonfiction world with true crime, women are really a dominant kind of reader or, uh, attracted to that kind of even especially the serial killers yeah the um everybody i'm talking i i do many many uh bars and noble book signings every year and i i talk to all kinds of readers and these uh true crime podcasts are just wildly popular and um they, they like to listen to um the investigations breaking down the the, uh, the crime stories on audio now, do you like to interact on social media? Do you have social media accounts for readers? Um, do you have a website? Like, how do people get a hold of Dave? Uh, my website is david at davidputnambooks.com. And my books are readily available on any of the uh, websites, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. They're audible. They're digital. Um, and I love to talk to the fans or anybody who wants to talk about writing or reading. Uh, I, I give a lot of recommendations on books that I like. You tell me a book that you like, and I could refer you back to any number of books that are similar that you're going to like. Um, I'm all about reading, writing, and, and conversing. I'm not big on Facebook. I never did break into that. I'm not big on uh, Instagram or Twitter. I do dabble in it once in a while, but usually just to reply to somebody. 
Um, but if you send me an email through my website, I answer every one of them and continue to answer them. I'm helping uh, crime writers every day. I get emails from people writing crime novels and they need uh, help either writing or on procedurals, law, ballistics, that kind of thing. Well, it's been a pleasure. Um, I've learned a lot. Now I'm going to write some uh, crime books. And, uh, <laughs> remember, remember, Al, 16 precepts. Remember, right. this is going to be awesome. That's right. That's right. As soon as I, but I can only count to 10. I've only got 10. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to. <laughs> well, anyway, so now uh, the, the new book, of course, is A Fearsome Moonlight Black, and it's The Bone Detective, a Dave Beckett novel. Now our uh, guest has been the author. David Putnam, thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. It was outstanding speaking with you, David. Thank you. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.